Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. In the second chapter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul was struggling to remove all barriers that stood between genuine believers and their full and proper enjoyment of Christ. Two major items that he labored to deliver them from were the worship of angels and the practice of asceticism. Why were these things so damaging to the church in Colossae? Well, we'll look at these today. Bob Danker has returned for another program from the book of Colossians. Bob, welcome back. It's good to be back, Chris. Uh, I really do love this book of Colossians and all the struggle that the Apostle Paul was having here to uh, remove the obstacles that kept the Colossian believers from their full enjoyment of Christ. And uh, we actually uh, need to have all the barriers removed for our experience of Christ also. And this is what we would like to consider in this broadcast. Uh, the Apostle Paul was not just sitting up in an ivory tower composing some lofty theological and spiritual writings. He was writing to real churches and real believers with real problems, wasn't he? And uh, the problems and the experiences of many of these believers back in the first century churches uh, are so similar to many of the things that uh, are still stumbling us today. And so these letters are so relevant and pertinent once we get a glimpse into the situation. That is exactly right, Chris. Paul's word in Colossians is absolutely applicable to us today. Well, we have two verses especially that we want to focus on, Bob. These are verses 10 and 11 in chapter 2. I'll read them now. It says, And you have been made full in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands in the putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. In verse 10, we have been made full in him. Something very positive. In verse 11, circumcised in the circumcision of Christ. Let's come back to the positive aspect of being made full in Christ and how that was related to their practice of worshiping angels. We'll get to that in a minute. But for the benefit of many listeners that may not understand the spiritual significance of circumcision, let's talk about this circumcision spoken of in verse 11 and the practice of asceticism that had crept into the church there. Well, the practice of circumcision, of course, is something from the Old Testament. And if we go back to the book of Genesis, we can see that God made a covenant with Abraham. And as a sign of this covenant, he commanded that Abraham would circumcise himself. Of course, circumcision is just a cutting off of the flesh. Right. And in spiritual significance, it just means the terminating and the removing of everything that we are as a man in the flesh. God doesn't need anything Mm -hmm. out from our flesh to help him to fulfill his purpose. In fact, he needs us to cut off our flesh so that he himself can come in and do everything that is necessary to carry out his economy concerning us. Mm -hmm. But we are 
here as men in the flesh. Sometimes our flesh is the good flesh. We like to help God. We like to do something <laughs> to help God, as was the case with Abraham. So God commanded Abraham to cut off his flesh. That means to cut off himself and everything he was and everything he could do so that God would be free to come in to do everything and to be everything for Abraham. And Bob, what about asceticism? Give us a little background of that. As we can see in the book of Colossians, Chris, a certain practice had crept in among the Colossians, and that was the practice of asceticism. What is this practice? This practice of asceticism is to mistreat your body, to treat your body severely in an attempt to restrict the lusts of the flesh. Nearly everyone realizes that our flesh has a lot of evil desires. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, how can we restrain these evil desires? Well, the Colossians were practicing some form of asceticism in order to help them to restrict the flesh with its desires. So this could be a kind of a self-inflicted suffering, physical suffering, almost torture, in the hopes that this would somehow deliver them from the tendencies of the flesh. Is that the idea, Bob? That's the idea, Chris, and that's what Paul was facing here uh, as he was dealing with the Colossian believers. Well, we'll touch both of these. Again, we'll come uh, to this positive portion about being made full in him. But I did want to give a little background for those who may not quite understand what Paul's referring to here in this matter of circumcision. So I appreciate the background, Bob. Okay, let's go to Witness Lee. This first portion, we're going to see that uh, actually these verses are the continuation of a kind of warning that was issued by the Apostle. Made full and circumcised in Christ. This is a word continuing foregoing warning. The foregoing warning was that no one should uh, delude you and carry you off as uh, a spoil. Then Paul says, you all have been made full already, and you are short of nothing. You have been perfected, you have been completed, you all have been made full. So you don't need to go to anything other than Christ. You were not only made full, but also you were circumcised in Christ. To be made full is something passive. And to be circumcised is something on the negative side. In Christ, all the believers have been made full, positively, short of nothing. And negatively, in Christ... We all have been circumcised. The circumcision in Christ takes care of all the negative things. The flesh, the self, the old man, and so forth. The New Testament has a clear doctrine unveiling to us that all the believers in Christ, including you and me, all have been put into Christ. Christ is just like a kind of a vessel. We all have been put into him. So we are identified to him by being put into him. Then we are one with him. See, we are identified with him and we are one with him. So whatever he is, is ours. And whatever he has passed through, that is our history. 
whatever he has passed through, we in him inherit all his past history. Not only so, whatever he has attained to, and whatever he has obtained, he obtained so much, and he has attained to so much, whatever, it is all ours, because we are one with him. If we realize this way, with full assurance, we will never consider that we are poor. We are not poor. Don't look at yourself. Don't uh, pay much attention to your sensation. You have to look at him. You have to learn how to sense what he has passed through, what he is today, and what he has obtained, and what he has attained, and where is he today. Are you a millionaire? You have to say, I am not only a millionaire, I am a billionaire. I am in Christ. Bob, what a realization, I would even say a revelation, uh, to see that we have been put into Christ, and that as long as we are in Him, we need to look no farther. But it seems uh, in our experience, there's a strong tendency in all of us as believers to consider how utterly poverty-ridden we are in ourselves rather than how immeasurably rich we are in Christ. I wonder why that is, Bob. Well, I believe, Chris, that most believers don't have a real practical revelation or realization that they are actually in Christ. They are no longer in Adam or in their old man. Of course, in ourselves, we are all quite poor. We're lacking in many ways. But if we don't have the vision that we are in Christ, then we just remain in poverty. But if we see that we are in Christ and we see how rich Christ is, and that our being in him means that everything he is now becomes ours. Right. We have been joined to him. We have been united with him. We are one with him. We are identified with him. We are even, I would say, married to him. So now, uh, although we were formerly poor, we are no longer poor. We are, as Brother Lee said, we're billionaires. We're billionaires upon billionaires. We cannot measure the wealth that we have in Christ. And Colossians 2.9 says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. Mm -hmm. So all the riches of what God is are in Christ, and these riches are ours. Everything Christ has experienced in his history becomes our history. Everything he has obtained and attained through all his experiences, now become ours. That shows us that in Christ we are rich. We should not pay attention to what we are in ourselves any longer because we are in Christ. We are more than rich. We are unspeakably rich in him. Bob, uh, someone once illustrated it to me this way. Uh, He took a dollar bill and inserted it in a Bible and said, now, the dollar bill is in the Bible. Whatever happens to the Bible will automatically happen to the dollar bill. If I throw the Bible away, unfortunately, that's what happens to the dollar bill. But if I send the Bible to the president and it sets in the White House, then the history of the dollar bill now becomes the same as that of the Bible. So this matter of being in Christ is marvelous because we know what happened to Christ. He arose victorious and he ascended to the right hand of God. So really, that's our history too, isn't it? That's right. And the New Testament, as Brother Lee said, shows this in a strong revelation that 
we were crucified with Christ, we were resurrected with Christ, we are now seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Are we poor? Could we say any longer that we are poor, poor people? No. We have to realize that being in Christ means that we are rich beyond description. Hmm. Bob, let's go back to Witness Lee. The uh, concept here of the Apostle Paul is this. The uh, Colossians got uh, deluded to uh, worship some of the angels. Then Paul told them that Christ is the head of all the angels. As you have Christ, you have the head of the angels. As you have the head of the angels, why you still need to go to angels and worship the angels? And their reason to worship the angels in that kind of heresy was that God was too high. And we, the human beings, were too low. So, we have to humble ourselves uh, to take a mediation. And the mediation must be some angels. So, they worshipped the angels as the mediators. They took this kind of mediation for their worship. If you argue with them, they would say, no, 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 we still worship God. We don't worship idols. We worship God through a mediation. And this mediation is just the angels who are higher than us, the human beings. And this was the heresy that was prevailing for a time in Asia Minor. So, Paul gave them this word, you are wrong, Colossians. You are wrong to go to the angels and ask them to be your mediators. Actually, our mediator is the man, Jesus. The man, Jesus. You know, in First Corinthians and in Timothy, you do have this clear word that the man, Jesus, is the mediator between God and us. Anyhow, here, Paul told the Colossians that Christ is the head of all the angels. Now, you are in Christ. You have been made full already. You are short of nothing. You don't need any of the angels. You don't need the angels. If you need the angels, you need them to be your servants, to be your bodyguards. The angels today are just your bodyguards. The angels shouldn't be our mediator. They are our servants. We shouldn't worship them. They are servants. You have to consider that all the angels are lower than you. Hallelujah. This is the concept. Christ is the head of all the angels, and you are identified to this head. Now you are one with this head. In this head, you have been made full, perfected, completed, and you are sure of nothing. Yeah. 
You know, Bob, as we've seen uh, in some previous messages as well, actually the Colossians had been deceived or deluded into this kind of thought, and it was as if uh, ones had come to them and said, how dare you think that you could boldly go into God's presence? You know, he is so high and you're so low. We need the angels in between us to mediate. And the thought sounds quite good, quite humble, and quite proper in a sense. But uh, how does it stand in light of what we've seen in verse 10 about being made full in Christ? Yes, Chris, this kind of a humble thought appears to be good, but it really shows that we are lacking in the knowledge of the truth. According to Paul's word here in Colossians, we are in Christ, and Christ is the head of the angels. Therefore, we are higher than them, because we are in the one who is their head. And in him we're made full, we're completed and perfected, and we are short of nothing. Actually, he is the unique mediator appointed by God for us to mediate between God and men. We don't need the angels to be our mediators. Now, what about the angels? Are they really above us who are the believers in Christ, who are the heirs of salvation? Well, if we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the angels are the servants of those who are about to inherit salvation. That's us. We are the saved ones. And the angels are not higher than we are. They are our servants. And we need to know that they function in this way. They could never function to be a mediator between us and God. Only the man Jesus has this function. And we are in him. And we have no need of any other source but Jesus Christ. Bob, this kind of thought that is uh, pervasive in our culture today about angels and that, uh, not only is it in error, but as we see here, this can be a frustration. This can actually be a damage to people really entering into a proper uh, relationship and a proper enjoyment of Christ. That's right. Anything that distracts us from Christ himself is a frustration to us because in God's economy, Christ is everything. He's the center. He's the circumference. He is everything to us in the economy of God. Okay, Bob, in our final section today, we want to come back to the other part of this two-part message, and that is on the circumcision not made with hands. Here's Witness Lee. Now we come to circumcise in Christ, which is circumcision not made by hands. Then this circumcision is made with what? With two items. Number one, with Christ's death. When Christ was crucified on the cross, his crucifixion was the universal, real, genuine, and uh, practical circumcision. When Christ was crucified on the cross, his crucifixion cut off all the negative things. Cut off your flesh, Cut off your natural man, cut off your self, and cut off you. Number two, with what? With the spirit as power. If you only have the crucifixion of Christ, you don't have the spirit as the power to execute, to apply Christ's crucifixion on you. And that crucifixion is just a story. It's not so practical. Christ's crucifixion 
could become practical, could become effective by what? By the powerful spirit. By the spirit who is the power to execute, to apply Christ's crucifixion upon you. This is the circumstances we all have received. Paul's concept was that Colossians, you have been circumcised. You have been circumcised. And the circumcision with which you have been circumcised was one accomplished by Christ's death on the cross and applied to you by his powerful spirit. There, in this circumcision, you all have been buried there. Your body of flesh have been buried there and have been terminated there. Why you still need to practice a sadism to treat your body severely, trying to restrict the indulgence of your flesh. This is foolish. So this kind of a circumcision in Christ is versus a sadism. Now, I believe we all should have seen that passively in Christ we were made full. And negatively in Christ we have been circumcised Oh, uh, Bob, he made a statement here uh, regarding the crucifixion of Christ, which of course is the reality of the circumcision that we have entered into, not made with hands. Uh, that if we don't have the application of this crucifixion to us, it's just a story of crucifixion. And I think it's fair to say that maybe in our own Christian lives for many years, that's all we really had was the story of the crucifixion. Let's talk about how it's practically applied to us in reality. That's right, Chris. Without the Spirit as the powerful application of Christ's crucifixion in our very being within us, then Christ's crucifixion is just a story. It's a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, and we all acknowledge that it happened, and we might even believe that we were circumcised in that crucifixion. But how can we experience it in our daily life? What we're talking about here is a way to deal with our flesh. The Colossians, who were short of this realization and short of the experience, they had resorted to asceticism Mm -hmm. to deal with the indulgence of their flesh. But we don't need asceticism. We don't need anything. What we do need is Christ's crucifixion, which is the real and universal circumcision which cut off every negative thing in the universe. This is a tremendous reality. It is. But how can it be applied to us? Only by the Spirit, by the Spirit whom we, the believers in Christ, have actually received. This Spirit, this powerful Spirit, dwells in our spirit. Whenever we contact Him spontaneously, all the effectiveness of Christ's crucifixion is applied to us. We actually experience the real cutting off of the flesh. We experience the deliverance, full deliverance, from our flesh with all its passions and its evil desires. That cutting off was a reality to Christ. He was cut off in the flesh, 
Our being included in Him means that we're now included in His being cut off, aren't we? That's right. And the Spirit is the application of this to us. And it's the Spirit that applies it to us. Uh, Bob, appreciate today's word. It's practical, it's helpful, and it was enlightening. And uh, another marvelous message in Colossians. This has been a, a wonderful uh, life study journey we've been on, hasn't it? It's really marvelous, Chris. Okay, we'll invite you back then again very soon for another one. And I'd be happy to come back. We are uh, approaching the end of the clock here, so let me leave you our toll-free number and invite you, as we always do, to contact us. We'd love to tell you about the printed material, the life study volumes themselves, and any other books that we might have uh, that would interest you on a particular topic. So do take time to contact us. Toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. That does it for today. We invite you back tomorrow. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Me, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.